Hi everyone, this is Dad Stories, and I'm your dad, Tom Noodla. Hi Dad, this is your non-binary son, Eden Noodla, and this is a podcast where we compare and contrast our experiences growing up. And uh, what are we talking about today, Dad? Continuing our summer series on what we learned while we were in college, today we are going to talk about summer internships. Yep, I know all about summer internships. I know you do. (laughs) For me, summer internships were really not part of my college experience, but we had substitute activities. So internships, I think, were something that evolved between my generation and yours to where they are with your experiences versus my generation, which I don't think we had as organized or effective means for what summer internships were all about. In light of that, I think it would be best if maybe I turn the gavel over to you (laughs) as the resident expert in this two-person team, and maybe you can share with me what you know and what your experiences were like in your internship uh, lifetime. Yeah, for sure. I bet your experience was much different at the military academy where you were getting trained for something very different than I was getting trained for, which was to be a software engineer. I worked every summer starting my freshman year until I graduated, but my first internship actually had very little to do with uh, software. I was a research assistant for a psych lab, and what we were studying was microaggressions. This was in 2012, 2013, and the term microaggressions was kind of new to a lot of the areas. I should have pulled up a good definition of microaggressions, but basically these are the small little slights that occur that reinforce greater systems of oppression. For example, the idea that when you're in a working group, if there is a woman there, she is more likely to be asked or assumed to take notes for the entire group and to act as a secretary. What we were studying was that they had found that in the presentations for the freshman projects that the women in the groups were more likely to be doing the introduction, the summaries, or the design elements, not the technical portions, while the men in the group were more likely to do presenting on the technical portions. And then of course, this was not even accounting for gender expansiveness. That part of the story we get to more in the future. Okay. Anyway, it was a really fun project. I sat in a room all summer with freshman groups as they came in and did little mock projects. We would give them like a little summary, a little like, oh, you're going to design a bridge or you're going to design this engineering solution. And then we would, I would just sit in there and tick off microaggressions. And we did a couple of different interventions where, you know, we would tell them explicitly, we want you to be thinking about gender and like gender biases during your presentation versus more subtle things. Like we want everyone to have a mix of experience. Anyway, it really radicalized me because I literally became somebody who studied at the micro level the different ways that people were moving through their biases. I was getting paid at the time. I think I was getting paid a little bit over minimum wage. I think I was getting $10 an hour and I was living at home. I was also taking classes and it was a pretty good gig for me and did some data analysis at the end of the summer and all in all, really enjoyed that internship. 
Wow, that's kind of crazy that you had that right off the bat in college. Right off the bat. (laughs) Given where you're at today, do you think that that had a long-term effect, the things you learned from that internship, like how your whole outlook on life uh, rolled out? I mean, absolutely. Fast forward to my junior year where I was interning at Capital One in Richmond, Virginia. They had a room where we were talking about women engineering and there was one of the women VPs. I forget how it happened, but I mentioned microaggressions. And it was the kind of thing like for me at that point, I was like, microaggressions was passe. Like I was like, oh yeah, everybody knows about this thing. And she had never heard about it. She was like, oh, what's all this about? And I was like, oh my goodness, we could talk about it. A couple days later, she scheduled a call with me to learn what I knew about microaggressions. This is my like low key claim to fame. Obviously, I'm not the only one to do this. And at big companies like Capital One, the knowledge is disparate. Right. In this case... I was one of the people to introduce microaggressions to Capital One in a crisscross applesauce internship story, but it absolutely had an impact on who I was. I went back to school that following year, my sophomore year. I remember kind of begrudgingly talking to classmates, my male classmates being like, ah, yeah, you know, I've really become a feminist. And this was kind of right before Beyonce was talking about feminism in uh, her music. And so being a feminist was kind of looked down on where I was at at University of Michigan in the engineering program, it wasn't a popular thing to be. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't look away from it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I had spent a whole summer studying this thing. Right, right, right. Wow. I had forgotten about that experience. I remembered you did the undergraduate research throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But I actually had forgotten about that. And that actually had some longer term benefits in terms of your relationship with that professor than in the future years while you were a student there at U of M, too, as I recall. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you you actually took advantage of the network, the the tiny little network of (laughs) professionals that you met during that first year. Yeah. I want to say that she wrote at least one recommendation for me. Anyway, my next summer internship was in Lexington, Kentucky. And the thing that was fun about that was that right before that, I was studying abroad in Spain and did not plan on having a summer internship. But all of my friends were getting these summer internships and I was feeling left behind. It was the kind of thing of like, oh, like, you know, if I don't get a summer internship, I'm going to not be able to be an engineer in the professional working world. This does not quite apply, but it kind of is bringing up one of the, I did a little bit of research for this episode and I stumbled upon something I want to talk about maybe a little bit later, but talking about unpaid internships. So all of my internships were paid. Most of the housing that I was doing was subsidized and I was getting paid well over minimum wage, over $20 an hour for most of the time that I was interning, which is very unique. It's very different. The experience of tech and engineering students versus most other majors. Because most other majors, if you want to be working during the summer in your field, it is unpaid labor. One of the things that I found that was interesting kind of compared to my fear of never being able to get a job if I don't get an internship is Malcolm Harris wrote a book in 2017 called Kids These Days, Human Capital and the Making of Millennials. One of his findings is that college grads who had done unpaid internships were less than 2% more likely to get a job. And when they did get 
a job in the field, they were paid less if they had had an unpaid internship. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I would love to dive into that because unpaid internships, I feel like, are a perfect microcosm of uh, or petri dish for how privilege shows up because you can't participate in unpaid internships if you don't have some sort of way of paying for living. I also I think about work ethic. It's a whole mess. Interesting. Well, you know, your brother Bobby did an unpaid internship. Mm-hmm. He was working for that band out in L.A working for the band manager mm-hmm. for that summer. And yeah, you're right. He had a safety net so he could go out there mm-hmm. and do all that, you know, with moms and my support. But he did not get paid that summer. Yeah. And then when he did go into the working fields, he also was getting paid peanuts. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's in the music industry, which like you think about how much money people in the music industry are making. The fact that the interns who, you know, we know that Bobby was working, what, over 12 hours a day sometimes. It's really interesting because you know, the logic, right, like the legal logic behind unpaid internships and internships in general is that you are a low skilled worker. But oftentimes we have when we think about what does an intern look like? These are the people who are working their butts off, running around, doing all of this grunt work and not making anything. And I think it's kind of interesting also when we think about what's going on now with essential workers and how we consider these different labor types not worth a living wage, even though they're absolutely necessary to the functioning of our economy. Yep, that's an extension of that thought. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) As a counterpoint, though, I want to say, doesn't the student get some value out of working in their field That is, while not financial, some form of capital that should benefit them later in life? Well, I guess my first question is, is what do you mean by capital in this in this sentence? The knowledge, Mm -hmm. the knowledge of their industry. The question is, you know, do do students get value from their unpaid internships? And does that translate into actually being able to perform better in their industries. And I think what, you know, Malcolm Harris is saying here is no, that you are only a little bit more likely to get a job and also you are more likely to get paid less. And also I think that the pushback here is that why aren't we paying people to do work? If the people are adding value, why aren't they getting paid? Regardless of if it is a benefit to the person or not, I think the pushback is more on the people who are engaging in what I would argue is an unethical practice of hiring people without paying them. Right. Great presentation of a dark side (laughs) of the concept of internships. (laughs) I mean, also, some people can't access it. One of the things that uh, Malcolm Harris talked about is also that unpaid internships are kind of the antithesis of the union worker and how union workers are oftentimes older white men and that the unpaid intern is more likely to be young women. And he did not indicate race. I think I said white men for unions, but it is just older men And then these unpaid internships are often being filled by young women. So there's also this divide of privilege, even within the unpaid internships for people who can actually access them. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, are internships hard to get? I guess this, this is a good question. Are internships hard to get? I think it depends on the industry. I think that the perception is that they are hard to get. I think that it is in the interest of employers to present internships as 
challenging, but I suspect that it is a lot like the housing market where there are plenty of houses, but they are just priced higher than people can access. Okay. So if a college kid wants to get an internship, they can. Yes, is my guess. I have, again, I did a little bit of research into this beforehand. I would also argue that you don't need an unpaid internship yeah. to get into your field. Yeah, and th- those conclusions mm-hmm. are are noted. Mm-hmm. In your experience, moving back now to your specific mm-hmm. experience again, where you were in Spain, deciding you wanted to get an internship because all the yeah. all the other kids that you were studying in Spain with were getting internship. Yes, which kind of supports your conclusion about it. They're not hard to get. <laughs> okay, let's pick up the story. Yeah. So then I started searching frantically. And so most of the kids that I already know had already gotten their internships back in the fall. And I was in Spain trying to get an internship back in America. I stumbled upon this last minute internship that Lexmark had put up and applied. And it was for a usability internship. So I was going to be studying how other people were interacting with their printers. I remember doing the interview at 10 p.m. And they loved me. They loved that I had been studying abroad. I got the internship. I was home for a week and then turned right around and went to Kentucky. So I want to interrupt you. I have an observation to make because I think as I remember... Mm -hmm. There was some connection about how you observed personal behaviors your first summer when you were working for the professor and doing that testing and that it would be a sign of a similar process for them, which is one of the big things that differentiated you from maybe other students that had applied. Is that accurate? Absolutely. I had both experience in engineering and in software, and I had experience doing uh, psych research, which user experience usability kind of sits at that intersection. And so even though I had I wasn't in a human computer interaction degree program, I had these different skills that were going to be useful for them. So I spent the summer in Kentucky, which is another one of my big pros for internships is that if they pay for your travel, if they pay for your housing, which all, again, all of the ones that I did in tech did, it's a great way to live in other places for a short period of time. I think that there's a lot of push in tech to like go and live in the Bay Area. And I think is actually, if you know you're going to end up in the Bay Area, if you're studying tech, do a couple of internships in, uh, in other places. I did an internship in Richmond, Virginia. I did an internship in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, I did one in Detroit and I did one in Detroit and all of them, I feel like really gave me a cool picture into different places around the country. So the Lexington experience, do you have any recollections of one or two things that were good about it? Uh, yes. My favorite, favorite story. So basically what I did, you know, I spent the summer kind of similarly to the previous summer where I spent it in a lab, but this time I was behind a two-way mirror and I designed a usability test for the printers. There are companies all across the, all across the, I imagine the world where you apply to be a user tester and you come into these labs of these companies and you test their product. And so we were drawing from this group and had this woman come in. She worked with horses. She was a very like strong human being, held a really strong presence and had just the most beautiful Kentucky accent. 
I had designed this study, which like, I think this there's probably something to think about this. I designed this study to really point out the flaws in the software that they were presenting. So it was a challenging test. And at one point, this woman is looking at the printer and she just kind of like, she just kind of stops doing what she's doing. And she's like, not, I don't think it was very loud, but she just sits there and she goes, I'm about to drop kick this printer. <laughs> yes. Oh, amazing. That was a great experience. And then also I got to do a lot of cool outdoor stuff. I got to do a lot of little outdoor nature stuff. Yeah, cool. And, ooh, one more nice thing. I was living in this corporate housing and got an apartment all to myself. They had cleaners come in. Every two weeks, somebody would come in and clean my apartment for me, which was just wild. I could not believe that, but it was convenient. Right. And then the next summer... I worked at Capital One. This would would be the internship that turned into the career that I held or the, you know, full-time work that I had and is also how I got to come and live in San Francisco. So that that's one of the things we hadn't mentioned, but one of the mm-hmm. reasons why you do an internship is yeah. That is a vehicle to get Mm -hmm. your first job out of college. And for you, that that proved to be the case. I would say that for people who are doing internships, that's a really good thing to find out about the places that you are interviewing for, is find out if they hire from their intern process. Because I know a a lot of places don't do that. And at Capital One, it's very explicit that that is what they do. At the end of the summer, I got an offer for a full-time position. Okay. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the one you had before that in Detroit. Mm -hmm. So you had accepted the internship with Capital One, but Mm -hmm. you had also done an interview with a startup, right? I did do an interview. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was my internship in Detroit. So that was kind of cool because it was while I was in school. That is also an option that people can do. And that's another way to, if they are providing the means, is a great way to make money. If you can get a job in something adjacent to your field, it's a another good way to develop skills. Yep, I worked in Detroit at a tiny startup, which was so cool as well because this was my first introduction to the startup environment. I was working with nine other people and we worked in an office building with a couple of other startups and we were all sharing the same open layout field. This was also where I got introduced to the ping pong tech culture, which I have my qualms about. What is that? I think it's unique to tech where there is a lot of socialization and a lot of encouragement to stay in the office for as long as possible, tech companies will provide a lot of entertainment within the office. We had a Wii U with Super Smash Brothers set up at my San Francisco office. And at this Detroit office, they had ping pong tables. People will just go and play. It can be kind of a barrier to entry for socialization. Sometimes also the places will have bars and people will drink in the office or have happy hours in the office. This is another place where privilege shows up and where we get biases, where we get places where tech can seem like a boys club. If you don't want to play ping pong, if you don't want to play Super Smash Brothers, if you don't want to drink, then you are not considered 
a team player and part of the team. And I have known people who have gotten ostracized from their groups, who have gotten fired because they weren't a good team fit and largely because they didn't want to participate in these specific entertainment zones. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Another insight into internships I had never thought about before. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a complicated world out there. Well, I had a different experience with my summers. Yeah. We were training to go into the Army, so our summers were getting you ready to go into the Army. Yeah. Our first summer, they wanted to show us all of the different possibilities. So we did things like drove tanks. I learned how to drive a tank. Uh We shot artillery. We got to fly in helicopters. And uh, one of the things that was cool there was I learned about this term called nap of the earth. And they put us in these little bitty helicopters called observation helicopters, and they would fly up a river valley. Mm -hmm. We were only a few feet above the river, like I say 10 to 20 feet above a river, going at what I think is really way too fast speed. But, you know, rivers aren't straight, so they're bending and twisting and curving, and it was like riding a roller coaster. This sounds both incredible and terrifying. Yes, absolutely right. I learned how to rappel that summer. I remember, you know, later on, we went rappelling up in Alaska. Yeah. I learned how to kill and eat a chicken out in the wild. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, that's part of army training. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but like... Remember, this is right after Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So it was all about living off the land. And if you're behind enemy lines, how do you feed yourself? So that was the kind of training. I mean, we were also learning about nuts and berries and edible plants and all that other stuff. But the killing and eating the chicken didn't set too well with me. And so when we actually were on our exercise and that was our meal for the day, I volunteered to go gather wood. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) Well, I don't know if that's good or not, but I was definitely too chicken to stick around. You were too chicken to kill a chicken? Yeah. We learned how to do war games. My biggest memory of of being in the war games was we were doing this thing in the woods and we got attacked and everybody had to hit the ground and I hit the ground on top of a ground hornet's nest. No! Well, all the guns, everybody's shooting their guns at each other and all that stuff. I'm just running through through the woods screaming because I have five or six ground hornets on my legs stinging me. Oh no. So so needless to say I did not get a very high score for (laughs) my performance in that war game. What a wild antic. That feels like it's straight out of a TV show about military academy. Right, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely true. And then the last thing I remembered that I learned that I really liked was land navigation. So that's like orienteering with the compass and uh, the maps and doing all that stuff. And uh, I don't know if if you were, but I know Bobby was victimized by that because we did that for Cub Scouts. We did it when we were like snowshoeing. Remember, we'd go out with the snowshoes and we would we would shoot an azimuth and walk a certain distance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was all stuff I learned. So that was that was my first summer, just getting exposed to all that. Keeping in mind the whole time is that even though I was there and attending a school training us to be in the Army, that that was not my aspiration. Yeah, this is... Mm-hmm. So in the back of my mind, some of this stuff I didn't take too seriously and other ones I did. So I'm skipping a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the next summer was a very different summer for me because the first part of it, I went to Army Airborne School, which is where you learn how to jump out of airplanes or parachute out of airplanes. I know that you've heard my stories about going to Airborne School, but a couple of things that came out of it was one, due to a bunch of coincidences and circumstances, I didn't travel with the other West Pointers to go down to the school. I got there a day early. And so since 
I was early and they didn't expect me to be there. They ended up putting me in the barracks with a bunch of special forces, also called Green Berets, uh, enlisted guys from Massachusetts. I actually hung out with them for a few days and they were cool. I mean, they knew that I was going to be an officer and stuff, but we got along, we hung out. And at some point that first week, the leadership found out that they had a West Pointer room and with a bunch of enlisted special forces guys. And so they came and pulled me out and made me go live with the uh, West Point cadets. But by then, all of the instructors who are all non-commissioned officers had heard about this. You know, they were like, well, there's this kid that's uh, a West Pointer, but he was hanging out with the enlisted guys. And so as a result of that, I got treated a little bit differently by the instructors because it was a high harassment value kind of training and um, they gave me special assignments like being the pole man during tower week and I won't describe what all that's about but it's just a lot easier job than what everybody else had to do and I was also a sign man same deal everybody had to run between uh, lessons and stuff like that but I didn't have to run because I was carrying the sign all the time so I actually think that me spending a couple days with the enlisted guys and not complaining and you know just being part of the whole thing really benefited me uh, in terms of getting harassed by the instructor corps. This is a wild story to me. This is something that I also feel like is interesting about your stories about the military is how much special treatment happens all the time. It also seems really arbitrary. I don't understand. Why was you getting accidentally assigned to the Green Beret barracks? Like, did they treat you poorly because they felt bad? Was it because you just surround, like, everybody's like, ooh, Green Berets, and you you were nearby them, and now you're the golden soldier? Nope, nope, nope. That's that's not it. Mm -hmm. So there is a separation between officers and enlisted. Okay. If you think about it as basic term, officers are the people that tell everybody what to do, and the enlisted are all the put-upon people. You know, they all mm. are the ones that have to dig the ditch and do all mm -hmm. the bad stuff. There is this perception of elitism that, in my experience, to a certain level does exist, depending on how the officer handles it, right? Like, they're bossing the enlisted people around, and you have to do what I say, and they're, I'm giving the orders and that kind of stuff. But because I demonstrated I that wasn't my mindset. Uh, you know, it's like, we all have a job to do. We're all going to do what we have to do. I'm going to treat you with respect. You're going to treat with me with respect. And so it didn't really have so much to do with the, with the Special Forces guys. It had more to do with the fact was, here's a guy that's not afraid to be amongst enlisted people. Oh... He's okay. He did that. Somebody's got to do this job. Let's give it to the guy who treats us fairly. Okay. That's interesting. I crossed paths with them then during the course and everything else, and we hung out, and they, they kind of joked about that as well. It's like, oh, here's the officer who doesn't mind being with the enlisted guys. Oh. By the way, one other thing. We had to do five parachute jumps in the last week. Every single one of mine were what we called night jumps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is my favorite story. I was going to, if you didn't tell this, I was going to have you tell this story about your experience at airborne school. Yeah. Tell me about your night jumps, Dad. Four of them were during the day, and only one actually did happen at night. But my eyes were <laughs> shut so tight. <laughs> from the time I jumped out of the airplane until I knew my chute was open that they were referred to as night jumps. The worst experience was because of the way we were set up in the airplane, we were doing mass exits. So you just run out the plane, you know, out the back. And mm -hmm. you've seen videos of all these guys jumping out of the plane at the same time. And, and I was always one of the last people to go off. By the time I got up there, you're so busy running and focusing on the back of the head of the guy in front of you that you don't realize what's going on. But one of my jumps, they reversed the line. And so instead of being last in 
in line. I was first in line. Oh, no. And then they put me in the door and waited for the green light to go off. So I'm just staring at the ground go by, you know. I'm in this airplane, and I'm thinking too much. Yeah. (laughs) And so when the green light finally happened, I was locked up tight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I couldn't move a muscle if I wanted to. So I don't recall this specifically, but I'm pretty certain I got kicked out of that plane. Mm -hmm. And I knew from my other experiences, you know, where I was in the back, that usually two or three guys got kicked out of the plane because they'd get in the doorway and they'd freeze, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they'd just get a boot in their backsides. So I'm in one of those categories. I certainly learned a lot about myself and a emerging fear of heights from my experience at airborne school. So that was one of my lessons learned. After that, I did something that was a relatively new program where I went to a basic training installation in Fort Lenwood, Missouri, and I spent the rest of the summer performing as uh, what they call a drill cadet, which is the equivalent of a drill sergeant. Mm. So I was essentially a drill sergeant for the rest of the summer. And that's once again, I literally hung out with enlisted folks the rest of the summer. I was treated as an enlisted person. My rank was as an enlisted person, and I really spent a good summer with some high-quality drill sergeants, you know, learning the craft, learning the trade. That may have been the one experience at the time that cemented my decision to stay in the Army, to stay at West Point, because it was such a profound experience for me uh, and the effectiveness that good quality leadership can have with folks. And I was actually able to try some of those leadership lessons that we were being taught in school. Oh, yeah. My favorite story was, at the time, of course, it's Port Vietnam, so they're very short people. So I was the only drill sergeant from my platoon of 40 trainees. They arbitrarily assigned squad leaders. Each squad leader would have 10 people working for them. And so I quickly came to see that my squad leaders really weren't that good. I mean, they weren't getting the information down to everybody. They didn't know what they were doing. But one of the things I learned at West Point was about how to look for informal leaders in the group. You know, those are the people that folks generally congregate to at lunchtime. So that summer, I actually would have my meetings with my squad leaders, but then I would go around individually to the informal leaders and tell them what I wanted to get done. Mm. And it worked. And by the end of the summer, we got picked as the best (laughs) platoon out of four in our company. And we got a weekend at the rec services area at Lake of the Ozarks. So we got to go up there and they gave us rooms to stay in and we had speedboats and it was a really cool thing. So I got rewarded for something that really happened. I'm like, this is cool. I want to do this some more, which unfortunately it never got much better than that. But that was a great experience from my summer internship. I have a question that maybe it's a little sensitive, so you don't have to answer it. You know, a lot of the stories of you in the military are... You know, a lot a, a lot of it is about people chewing you out or being kind of mean. And I feel like that's kind of also how the media portrays a lot of military experience. And a lot of that hazing and harassing is coming from drill sergeants. And I'm wondering about, like, your experience being in that position of power, how, uh, how you were handling that environment and that culture as a leader in that space. So the perception, I think, was more real than you'd realize. I did not see unprofessional things, like I didn't see any physical Mm -hmm. beating up of anybody or anything like that. So, I mean, you see a lot of that in Hollywood. But in in terms of yelling at folks, having them do push-ups, that kind of stuff, yeah, that's a pretty regular thing. I don't want you to get the impression that I did not do that either, because I did. Mm. How do you feel about that? Uh, 
in the right context, we wanted the trainees, for example, to do a lot of push-ups because uh, a strong upper body was necessary to be carrying the weapons and the equipment that they were doing. So if there was an occasion to drop, and you know, we wouldn't drop them like for 100, you know, you drop them for 10. And that was just part of strength building. You always had to make sure that they had enough to eat. I mean, you're always checking for their health. For example, they always talked about nine out of 10 things in Missouri were poisonous. So before anybody could go into a foxhole, the drill sergeant had to go in first to make sure there weren't any snakes or poisonous insects or anything in the foxhole. We are definitely concerned about the health and welfare of the individuals. So there were times when you could do that kind of stuff and many times when you couldn't. But absolutely, it was part of getting them used to working and living under a a semi-stressful environment so that you're reacting with your training, not panicking or doing some of those other things. So in that spirit, some of that stuff was good. But yeah, absolutely, in retrospect, that is a great opportunity for abuse. Mm, Yeah. Interesting thing about that summer was that was the first summer they introduced female drill sergeants to the basic training at Fort Leonardwood. And our company didn't get any, but it's such an incredibly parallel story to the one I shared about women at West Point, mm. only at the NCO level. By that time, I had heard it all before, you yeah. know? Yeah. I was in my junior year, and it's like, it's not going to be that bad. They're going to be good. Yeah, you got to get over it. I am confident the standards are not being lowered, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that was the first time I was actually able to use what my own experience had taught me from West Point. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm proud of it. You certainly have never heard me brag about dropping trainees for push-ups. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard you. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, I had never heard you. I had always known that you had done that part of the drill sergeant training was what made you want to stay in the army, but always kind of told within the context of how you enjoyed the leadership position and also the experience of finding the informal leaders. And I had never thought about, I mean, certainly I've had a lot more time to reflect on my critiques of the military and as have you and it's I'm it's complicated the following summer a guy who was a year behind me at West Point actually did that same program and went to my same unit and there were still a lot of people there oh yeah at that unit and they were like did you know mm-hmm. Tom Noodle and he's like yeah I know Tom Noodle he lives right down the hall from me and they're like oh man that guy was so so strack wait what does that word mean really disciplined really professional really oh. on top of things and he was like mm. are we talking about Tom Noodle <laughs> <laughs> and it was like when we got back to school that fall that was the first thing he did he comes running up to me and he says man you gotta hear the stories that they told about you <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to believe it too much and then the last summer it's kind of a mixture I'm not going to go too much into it because it's also my study abroad I was given an internship as a platoon leader for a tank platoon in Germany mm. And the only thing I want to say about that for this uh, episode is that it was probably the most accurate depiction of what I ended up experiencing my first couple of years in the Army. So in that respect, it was very beneficial internship for that reason. On the flip side, we used to have to do these things they called alerts. And at least once a week, we'd get called up in the middle of the night and the whole all the unit would have to come in and get their tanks ready. And it was to practice or simulate the event of when the Russians were coming over the border. Mm -hmm. And then we'd have to sit on our tanks with our tanks running and wait for the signal that we were going to go out to our defense positions or if they were going to have a shutdown. Sometimes we'd sit there for hours. I mean, you didn't know if it was real or if it was an exercise because everything was happening so quick, but you had to be on board. You had to be on the base. 
you had to be in your tank by certain times and they were checking you and all that stuff. And then you'd sit around and wait. And that summer, I found a set of books that fit perfectly into my fatigue pockets. And those books were The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Mm. So I read, I read all four of those books while sitting on an M60 tank in the Falda Gap in Germany. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> This is kind of an interesting thing for the compare and contrast because like your internships involved being on a tank and jumping out of planes and yelling at people and mine were mostly spent sitting in front of a computer or sitting behind two-way windows looking at people and printers. It's kind of complicated because you can't, you one of the things you talked about is it seems like you had a pretty clear... Um, this is during the Cold War. Right, right. And the like threat of Russian invasion was very real. Certainly now, I feel like post 9-11, what we're seeing now with even with Trump, it's like I do not have a very positive view of the military or Americans military presence in the world. And it's weird when I hear your stories thinking about, you know, where are you supposed to be jumping into? Where is the plane? Who's on the ground that you are encountering who's at the end of the who are the war games who's your enemy and it's like this is not a it doesn't feel fun in the same way well it's worth thinking about it and debating and i think that's always useful (laughs) when you talk about the military think about all that because all those questions are real right i mean (laughs) in our training there was no doubt what we were doing but i will i wanted to say one thing on the compare and contrast Mm. and i think it's a big difference is you were studying and preparing for a career that you thought you wanted to do. Yeah. I was studying and preparing for a career that I knew I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Now we look back, even at your early stage of life and my later stage of life, mm-hmm. you quickly left yeah. your profession after you worked there for a while. I retired from the Army 22 years yeah. of service. <laughs> It just goes to show that we, oh, hold up. Oh my goodness. Somebody said this to me the other day and I thought it was so funny. If God wants to punish you, they'll answer your prayers. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that we do not know. We have no way of knowing what the future holds. I mean, I think that something that feels present to me kind of to circle back to the unpaid internship is knowing about your power and your worth and that the future is really unknowable and being able to that you'll be able to find your way and you don't need to compromise your value in order to get ahead. Yes. Possibly. I want to play around with that because I think that there's a lot of things about this world that make that much harder to actually enact. Um, If you don't mind, Mm -hmm. I'd like to move on with a question for you. Oh, yeah. Back in my day. Oh, yeah. I had a back in my day. This is actually kind of funny because this is about childhood jobs. So kind of a circle, got a similar comparison to our subject from today. I recently traveled across the country with a friend of mine and we listened to the childhood jobs episode and they told me about their experience of being, I think, like 10 And they had just started learning how to play piano. You know, one of their mom's friends who owned a B and uh, Air, just a regular B and B. They did a wet. They were doing a wedding, and they asked them to play piano at the wedding and paid them to play piano at the wedding. And my friend was like, in retrospect, 
I don't really understand how that all happened because I only knew like four songs. And I think I just played the four songs on repeat over and over and over again. (laughs) I think they were just putting one on me. Right, right. Or maybe they were just wanting to get your friend to participate in the wedding in some form. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's kind of a cool way to make money. Yeah. For a youngster. That's why I thought so too. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add in summary to the episode? I think this one was an interesting one. This was a tough one. I I don't um, envy your editing for later. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Do you want to hit our our listeners with those details? Oh, yeah. Um, So you can email us at dadstories at the following email address. It is dadstoriespodcast at gmail.com. And feel free to visit our website, which is at dadstoriespodcast.com. And you can download our podcast from wherever you download your favorite podcast. I had a lot of fun talking today, Dad. Yeah, got some surprises thrown that I wasn't expecting. I had a lot of fun, too. I love you very much. I love you, too. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.